Well, uh, how many in the room are grandparents? If you're a grandparent, raise your hand. Grandparent? Grandparent? Okay, thank you. Online, if you're a grandparent, go ahead and raise your hand. If you're online and you're a grandparent, raise both hands. Uh, I know I don't look like I could be a grandparent, but I am. I am a four-month-old grandparent. My uh, daughter gave birth to our granddaughter, Nora, four months ago. Uh, and uh, I'm just here to tell you, all you grandparents that have been telling me for years, there's nothing like it. You're exactly right. There's absolutely nothing in the world like being a grandparent. I mean, I have, uh, I have a file on my computer. I take pictures on my phone, and I take those pictures and videos, and I can uh, transfer them through the cloud uh, to a file on my computer. And that file on my computer is filled with gigabytes of pictures and videos. There are literally hundreds of pictures and videos of Nora. And I take all those pictures or uh, my daughter or my son-in-law will share those pictures or my wife or my other uh, daughters will take a picture or another family friend, maybe a stranger takes a picture of her because she's so beautiful. He shares it with me, they share it with me. I put it all in that file folder because I don't want to miss a minute of her life. Four months, she's already turning over. She's such a, she's such a smart girl. She, she, she smiles when she sees me, and she never cries when she sees me. Great thing about being a parent, a grandparent, you get to give them back, right? I mean, that, praise God, right? I, I, I love every moment that I have, but I don't have to change a diaper. This is great. This is spectacular. I, I, I am so thankful that uh, my wonderful son-in-law and daughter, uh, uh, they, they live in the area. They live close enough. Uh, they would say they live far enough away uh, that they don't have to deal with me every minute of every day, but they live close enough. I got to see my granddaughter, Nora, this week. I got to see her in the middle of the week. I woke up one morning, and it had been several days since I had seen Nora and I was just there was that hurt in my heart I hadn't seen her and I was longing to see my granddaughter and my wife calls me and says guess who's coming today and it's my <laughs> Nora I took off work you know I, I, I really didn't but I came home early so I could see Nora it's such a special thing I uh, got to see her spend time with her yesterday uh, and got to hold her and 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 coo at her and she cooed at me and she smiled and my heart melted it's just a wonderful thing and I, I don't want to miss a moment in fact um, one of my commitments is that I'm going to make every moment count with my granddaughter y'all know what that's like and you look at uh, your children if you have children or you look at other relationships and you see how there were some moments that you wish that you could have captured that you missed and Edie and I felt that with our children and I know that they're going to feel that with their children but one of the great things about being a grandparent is you learn you don't want to miss a moment you want to make every moment count if that's true in our earthly relationships it is even more true in our relationship with God our relationship with God means that we need to make every moment count. That's what Paul's getting at in Colossians chapter 4. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul 
verses 2 through 6, Paul has led us on a journey where we see who we are in Christ. In, in chapter 1, he says that, that in Christ we are fully forgiven and absolutely free. We are free to experience the way we're, uh, life as we're supposed to experience it. Uh, we, we become fully human, our truest true self, in relationship with God through faith in Christ. And we see that Jesus himself is the center of the universe. He is the, he is the firstborn over all creation. By him and through him all things that exist came into being. All things were made by him. All things were made for Jesus. You and I, we were made for Jesus. He is the center of the church. In the Bible uh, there in Colossians 1 says he's the head of the church. That means that he is the center of the church. He is the center of my life. He is the center of the universe. Beginning in Colossians chapter 2 and 3, the apostle Paul then takes that truth and he shows us who we are in Christ and how that we who once were dead because of our sin now can dance the dance of life because Jesus has forgiven us our sin through his death on a cross in our place for us. We are alive. We're no longer dead. We're alive because we placed our faith and trust in Jesus. We once were blind, but now we see. We once, we once were lame, but now we leap and walk and we can praise God because we're fully alive. We are part of God's family. We once were strangers to God because of our sin, separated from him because of our sin. But through faith in Jesus, we have been brought into the family of God. You and I, if you're a follower of Christ, you and I, we're sons and daughters of God. We're part of his family. We sit at his table. We've received his inheritance. We live as sons and daughters of God, a God who loves us so eminently and preeminently displayed through the person of Jesus Christ. We're sons and daughters, and so we live in this newness of life, this new life that God has given us, this new life that you have, that I have, through faith in Christ. In chapter 3, Paul says, okay, now here's what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to live. When we soak in the truth that I belong to God and that I'm his son or I'm his daughter, that I've been, I was dead, but now I live. I was blind, but now I see. When we soak our, our souls in this, this wondrous uh, grace of God and love of God given to us in Christ, it changes the way we live. And that's what Paul's getting at in chapter 3. He said, in, in Colossians chapter 3, he said, if then you were raised with Christ, if you've been raised from death to life, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth, for you died. You died to the things of this world. You've died to yourself. You're alive to God, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now, verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, appears, we shall also appear with him in glory. A statement there, Jesus is our life. And because he's our life, we're going to pursue a life of connection with him that is filled with a connection with heaven. We're going to pursue a life that says, verses 5 through 11, we're going to stop doing some things 
verses 12 through 17, we're going to start doing some things that reflect our heavenly connection, our, our family status as sons and daughters of God. This new life leads us to a certain lifestyle, and it affects our relationships, our relationship as husbands and wives, as parents and children, as co-workers to bosses. It affects our relationships. And now Paul, in Colossians 4, beginning in verse 2, brings his focus, a focus that has led us to see who we are in Christ, to a fine and sharp point. He says, okay, because of who you are in Christ, this is how you're supposed to live in light of people who aren't followers of Jesus. In fact, I would contend that chapters 1, 2, and 3 led Paul to this point because this is a point that Paul was desperate to make, that you and I need to make every moment count. And making every moment count means that we have our eyes focused not only on God, but also on others and how we can help them find life through faith in Christ. Listen to what Paul writes in, in uh, Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Uh, Paul writes, he says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. Now, word and mystery of Christ there, he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about how a person who is far from God, separated from God by sin, can come into a relationship with God, be brought into God's family, okay? So he says, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may uh, make it clear or manifest as I ought to speak. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Those who are outside, he's talking about people who are not part of God's family. He's talking about people who uh, may be religious, may be spiritual, but they are still separated from God by their sin. They are far from God. He said, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Now that redeeming the time, it means make the most of every moment, make every moment count. Verse 6, let your speech always be with grace. Now just let that one set for a second. Let your speech, the words you say, type, write, let your speech always, pantote, it's the Greek word, always. The only reason I said that Greek word is so I let y'all know that I knew Greek. It's an arrogant little thing to do. I apologize. Let your speech always, always be gracious seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Who are the each ones there? Each one, those who are outside, those who are far from God. So he's, this whole passage is talking about how we must pursue each day as a gift from God to make every moment count for God. Now, that's what he's talking about. That's what he wants us to see. We, we, we pursue each day. We redeem the time. We pray with vigilance. That, that, that's language of, 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 of redeeming the time, capturing the moment. We pursue each day as a gift 
from God to us so that we might make every moment count for God. Now, here's where we get in trouble. We, we like to make every moment count for me. I, I want to make sure every moment counts for me, for me, myself, and mine. But remember, I'm not the center of the universe. Jesus is the center of the universe. And because he's the center of the universe, I need to make every moment count for him. You remember the first commandment, the greatest commandment God gave us, and I've mentioned this a couple of times as we've looked through this letter. The greatest commandment, a lawyer comes up to Jesus, what is the greatest of all commandments? And Jesus said, the greatest or the first commandment of all is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, therefore you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second liken to it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if we're going to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that, that means that we must make every moment count for him, that he is the center of my life, my days. I need to seize every second, every hour, every, uh, every uh, day for him. So how do we do that? And, and that's the question. How can you and I orient our lives, orient our every day so that we make every moment count? We pursue the day. This day is a gift from God to us so that you and I can make every moment count for God. So how do we do that? Well, Paul gives us two commands. There's a command in verse 2 and there's a command in verse 5. The first command is pray diligently and pray persistently. Two, uh, uh, Colossians 4, verse 2, 3, and 4 tells us that we need to pray persistently for God's glory in the advance of the gospel. Now, I'll break that down in just a second, but pray persistently. Every single day. Can, can, can I humbly suggest that one of the reasons so many followers of Jesus walk around in such absolute fear or abject poverty of courage is because we do not spend persistent time in prayer. You remember the time when Jesus, uh, right before he's arrested, uh, the night before he's, uh, the day before he's crucified, you remember uh, how he spent his day. He, had, he, he, he went to an upper room with his disciples and he washed their feet and he, he had communion with them and, and that was a great time of celebration with his closest friends. Of course, Judas was part of that number and Judas left the upper room and he went off and he uh, betrayed Jesus later. But, but as Jesus finished the Lord's Supper, finished washing their feet, they, they left that upper room and they went out to the dusty streets of ancient Jerusalem and they began to walk uh, through those streets and they made their way outside the, the gate of, uh, of, of Jerusalem and they were making their way through the Kidron Valley and, and it's during this time that Jesus is, is praying. We see this prayer in John chapter 17. This is the walking prayer. This is the high priestly prayer. This is the prayer that he prayed as he's making his way uh, through the Kidron Valley over into the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he prayed that prayer, you remember how it went? In John chapter 17, verses 1 through 4, Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son might also glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I've 
glorified you on the earth. I finished the work you've given me to do. And Jesus said, okay, this is my prayer that I bring glory to the Father. And, and he knew that there was a lot at stake. Uh, that his death on the cross that would be uh, just a few hours later, his death on the cross was essential to give eternal life to sinners like you and me. And Jesus was praying in John 17 for God's glory in the advancement of the gospel, this good news that even though I'm far from God, I can be brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you and me upon a cross. Though you may be far from God, you can be brought near to Him. You can be brought into His family. So as we consider what Paul is saying, he's, he's talking about us praying like Jesus. You remember what happened after Jesus got to the Garden of Gethsemane and in the Mount of Olives? He, he goes through the Kidron Valley up <clears throat> to the Mount of Olives and, and he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's, he's there, he goes a little bit further away with some of his closer friends, and, and he tells them, he says, I want you all to sit right here and I want you to pray. And he goes a little bit further away and he begins to pray. And, and the scripture tells us in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 that Jesus prayed with such passion and such purpose. It, it was a painful prayer because he knew what was coming. But it was a persistent prayer. God, I'm going to do your will. I'm going to make much of you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to glorify you. He gets up from his praying and he goes back to his disciples and he sees them and they're, what are they doing? You know what they're doing? They're sleeping. They're taking a siesta. And Jesus says, could you not tarry in prayer with me for one hour? He goes on and he says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. He goes away and he prays some more and he comes back and they're sleeping again. He goes away a third time and he prays some more and he comes back and yes, they're sleeping again. And he says, get up. The bad guys are coming. And he's arrested. Now what does all that have to do with continue earnestly in prayer? I think that's what Paul's getting at. He's saying, okay, we need to pray like Jesus. We need to pray with persistence. We need to pray like Jesus, not like the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. We need to pray, oh God, may you be glorified through my life. Oh God, will you be glorified through what I do? Oh God, <clears throat> I'm going to pray and I'm going to be watchful. That term vigilant means to watch and pray. I'm going to be watchful. I'm going to look at my own life and I'm going to surrender who I am to you. I'm going to spend time in prayer. Not only am I going to be watchful, I'm going to have thanksgiving. I'm going to pray with thanksgiving. What does that mean? Can I tell you, I believe that one of the antidotes to the fearful living that so many of us have is when we pray with thanksgiving. Now, now praying first. I really believe that especially in seasons like this, we need to set aside more time for praying. But the content of our prayer can't merely be our to-do list. I love a to-do list, don't you? I mean, I love a to-do list. I make a to-do list every single day. But my greatest delight in a to-do list is marking off the things that I've gotten done. Because I love to-do lists, sometimes what I do in my praying is I just give God a to-do list. I tell God what I want him to do. I give him his marching orders. And, and make no mistake, please understand, God delights to receive our to-do list. He really does. That's what daddies do. 
He delights to receive our to-do list, but if all we're doing is giving God a to-do list and acting like it is his job to fix and to fulfill our requests, then we're missing faith and faithfulness of God that's displayed through the person of Jesus. We're missing it. And in prayer, our job is not merely to be vigilant, set aside time daily and through every hour of the day, set aside time to pray, but, but also to pray with thanksgiving. To pray with thanksgiving. Gratitude opens our eyes to see this is what God has done for me. God has rescued me from sin's grip and he's brought me, brought me as a son into his family. God has rescued me. God has given me the per- presence of his power in everyday life. I live in immediate intimacy with him. His spirit resides within me. This is what God has done for me. And yes, even though the sky may be falling, God, by his grace and love, has put his roof over my head, and I walk secure and strong, filled with faith, not with fear, because of what God has done for me. You see, what happens when we pray is that with thanksgiving, we begin to lose sight of all the fearful boogeymen that haunt us around every corner, and we start celebrating the God of the universe who has given us a seat at his table. We pray persistently, and we pray being watchful. We pray with thanksgiving, and we pray for an open door. Now, this is what Paul is getting at in verses 3, 4, and 5, three and 4. It's, it's that, he says, also pray for me. Pray for me that there would be an open door of opportunity so that I might declare the word, so I might speak the word, the mystery of Christ. He's inviting us to join in the advance of the gospel. Not only are we to live for God's glory and pray, oh God, may I live for your glory, but also we are to pray as we live for God's glory that for open doors of opportunity to tell someone else about the gospel. Can I ask you, in your praying, do you ever ask for God to open a door for you to speak the word, the mystery of Christ. See, here's what I think is missing in the church today. I think one of the things that's missing in the church, not just ours, but the church, is this consistent, persistent prayer for an open door. Oh God, I woke up today and I know that I've got neighbors, friends, I've got uh, baristas, that I'm going to meet. I've got checkout counter clerks. I've got, I've got people in my work. I've got people uh, on my ship. I've got people around me, and they are far from you. God, will you open a door of opportunity for me to speak to them the things that need to be spoken so that I can share the gospel with them? See, I believe that if God's people would pray in this way, if we would make a commitment today, a thousand First Norfolk members and friends, if we would make a commitment today, oh God, will you give me an opportunity? And will you give me the courage and the boldness? And by your Spirit, give me the words to share so that I can help somebody that's far from you find life through Jesus Christ. I believe what would happen would change the seven cities of Hampton Roads. It would change us. 
because we'd leave our house with an expectancy of fulfilling God's purpose, bringing Him glory, sharing His good news, instead of just living for ourselves. See, if we're going to make every moment count for God, it's not seizing every moment for ourselves. Listen to this. We can't seize every moment for ourselves and then say, oh, I'm living for God's glory. No, you're living for your own glory. At the very least, let's begin to pray, oh God, this day is a gift from you, and I'm returning it to you. Now I pray with thanksgiving that you would take care of me, take care of my family. Oh God, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you're going to do. Now will you open a door of opportunity for me to talk to somebody, just a somebody, somewhere, somehow, this day, how that you've changed my life, how that you've saved me, rescued me, made a dead man walk. If we pray differently, then our conversations are going to be different. You see, that's the second part that Paul's talking about, verse, uh, verse 5 and 6. He says we need to walk in wisdom toward those who are far from God. Look, look at verse 5 and 6. He says, he, he says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the time, making every moment count. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now, how you ought to answer each one, he's saying how you make clear the gospel to them. Now, here are a couple of things. Won't take To walk in wisdom toward those who are outside means that we are emissaries of encouragement, to inspire people to receive Jesus as Savior and King. To walk in wisdom means that we live in such a way that we honor God. We covered most of that in verses uh, Colossians 3, 5 through 17. This is how we live for God's sake. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus, verse 17. That's, that, that, that's, that's living for God's honor. But to walk in wisdom is live for God's honor. But it's also to share the gospel to talk to somebody about the most important thing in my life. To walk in wisdom toward those who are outside is to have the conversation. To have the conversation that has changed my life. I want it to help somebody else. But, but here's the problem. First of all, we never redeem the time. We don't make the most of seconds or minutes or hours or even days. We... We just let that time pass us by and we never say anything to our husband or our wife or our children or our parents or our cousins or our brothers or our sisters or our neighbors or our co-workers or our shipmates. We, we don't say anything. We'll talk about masks. Seriously. We'll talk about masks, but we won't talk about the most important thing that could ever happen in another person's life. I, 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 I get tired of hearing about masks. Hey, y'all don't, don't get what I get, and, and I, I, I'm thankful that you don't get what I get. God help us all. Um, but, man, it's like... It's like asking somebody to walk across a bed of hot coals. 
either to wear a mask or don't wear a mask. If you wear a mask, you're asking somebody to walk across a bed of hot coals. If you tell them you don't want to wear a mask, then, then you're asking somebody to walk. I mean, it, it's, it's craziness. And the church is caught up in it. We're known more for being a mask-wearing or non-mask-wearing people. And we act like that's okay. Have we lost our God-loving minds? We're not making the most of every moment. We're not making every moment count for God. Look, have your opinion about the masks. That's fine. Yell at me about having to wear one or not having to wear one. Yell it, that's fine. But God help us if people who are far from God, all they know about Christianity and the church and the gospel is that you believe in wearing masks or you don't believe in wearing masks. And the reason they hear that is because that's what you're talking about. And we wonder... We wonder why the world is filled with darkness. Friends, it's time for us to, do you think God really cares about a mask? I mean, I, I can promise you he cares more about the soul of a mask-wearing or non-mask-wearing lost person than he cares about your right to either wear it or not wear it. He does. I mean, I hate wearing a mask. And I love wearing a mask all at the same time. But that's irrelevant. You know what matters? Instead of us talking about our right to wear a mask or proving our point about whether we ought to do this or do that, instead of, instead of spending our hours and days and seconds and minutes on such a futile, earthbound conversation, maybe, just maybe, we ought to have a conversation about something that can change a person's life. Give them life. Paul said, we need to walk in wisdom. We need to seize the moments of every day to have a conversation. If I were to look on your uh, uh, social media, and I don't, but if I were, would I see a lot of gospel Or would I see a lot of masks? We need to seize the moment. The other thing I'd say is, and, and again, please understand, I'm not saying don't have an opinion about masks. I'm just saying make the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is not your mask. The main thing is whether or not a person is going to heaven or going to hell, and we have a responsibility given to us by Jesus Christ to help those who are headed for hell get to heaven. And we can't do it if we're spending all our time talking about something as earthbound as wearing a mask. Another thing that Paul says here is one of the greatest obstacles to walking in wisdom toward those who are outside, one of the greatest obstacles to redeeming the time, one of the greatest obstacles to having a conversation with somebody is that we are jerks. That we want to share truth, but we share it in such an ungracious way that 
It's no wonder a person who is far from God runs from us and runs from God. I'm convinced that the gospel is good news even to a person who is lost in their sin. I was one. I think part of the problem is we don't have words that are filled with grace. We have words that are filled with truth, but not with grace. Having words filled with truth without grace is like... uh, Reading a biology textbook at a funeral. Having, having the truth without grace is like putting an elevator in an outhouse. Movie reference. Putting an elevator in an outhouse. It just doesn't fit. You might say, well, I'm a truth teller. Good. You should be. Just stop being a jerk. Most people are not turned off by the truth. Most people are turned off by the jerks that are telling the truth. And you might say, well, Eric, you're being way hard. No, I'm not. Not really, because this is what God is just like heaped on me. You realize how hard it is for me to be gracious? You know, maybe you don't, but my wife does. I want to be a truth teller. I need to be a gracious truth teller. I've fallen short in this so many times. They need to know that their sin has separated them from God. That's right, they do, but they need to hear that in a way that is salty. You know what that means? It means something that whets their appetite. Being a truth teller without being gracious, being a truth teller without being salty is what, like when my daughter came up to me one time, she said, um, she said, Dad, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not feeling very well. I'm feeling kind of nauseous. I'm a, little, I'm a little bit sick, and I, 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 I think I need to go back to my room. And I, I, know, I knew that she had responsibilities to fulfill. Uh, and I looked at her, and I said, well, just suck it up, buttercup. And immediately, Julie Hunt rebuked me. I, that's a joke. Julie doesn't rebuke in a harsh way, but she did. She, she, along with my wife and along with everybody else at that table who heard me say those words to my daughter, said, where's your grace? They didn't say that out loud, but that's what they were thinking. And I needed to hear that. I needed to be rebuked by that. Friends, one of the greatest enemies to gospel sharing is not the truth. It's that our words are not filled with grace, and they're not seasoned with salt. Instead of telling somebody you're a sinner going to hell, maybe a salty response would help. Hey, listen, I understand that there is this way of life that you've embraced, and you enjoy it, and I get that because I once was there too. There, there, there was a way of life that I've embraced, and and, and, and I know that the Bible calls what you're doing sin, and I know what the Bible called what I was doing sin. And I know it wasn't the same thing, but it, it, it's in the same category. And I thought that me doing life the way I wanted to do it was the most important thing, and so I would pursue it. But, but no matter what, no matter how much of that, that my way kind of life that I pursued, there was still an emptiness in me. I, there were, I found no rest for my soul, and I... I would venture to say maybe you haven't either. 
But in the midst of my search and my journey and my emptiness, God showed me that, that what I was doing was sin. And, and, and I could. There was hope, though. I could find forgiveness for that sin, freedom from guilt, entrance into God's family. And when I chose to turn from my sin and embrace Jesus, in that moment, my life was satisfied. I didn't look to that way of life that I once had to be my support and my strength. I had God himself. I was empty, but now I'm satisfied. Do you see the difference between saying words like that and you're a sinner and you're going to bust hell wide open? Both of those statements were true, but one was filled with grace and one was salty. And the other was just truth. So today, here's, here's what I, I want you to see. I want you to see that you and I have a responsibility to make every moment count, every conversation count, every word count for God. Because we say we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because we want to be like Jesus, we pray persistently for God's glory to be revealed in our life and in the advancement of the gospel through us. And we want to walk in wisdom toward those who are far from God. How many of you know somebody that doesn't know Jesus? You know, just raise your hand. You know somebody that doesn't know Jesus, doesn't have a relationship with God. Online, here. What would, it, what would it look like if you woke up every morning and you said, oh God, will you open the door of opportunity for me to have a conversation with that person? That, that God, you would give me the courage to speak as I ought. The clarity of presentation, words filled with grace and with salt. Can I, can I tell you what I think would happen? I think everything would change. I think this whole seven-city community would change. I think your families would change. I think your days would change. Instead of focused on what is keeping you from being satisfied, you would be satisfied in the one who is keeping you. So my prayer for us today is that we would pursue each day as a gift from God so that we would make every moment count for God by praying persistently for God's glory in the advancement of the gospel, praying with thanksgiving and praying for open doors, and by walking in wisdom toward those who are outside, those who are far from God, having conversations that are marked by graciousness and saltiness and truth. So will you make a commitment today? Will you commit today, first, to make every moment count by praying persistently, daily, maybe hourly, maybe a couple of times a day, not just some throw-up, a, a prayer to God kind of prayer but will you make a commitment to pray each day to pray persistently for God to be glorified 
in this church and in your life. Will you pray intentionally for God to watch over you that, that your life would be a good reflection on Him? That you would pray, oh God, will you open uh, my eyes to see with gratitude all that you've done for me? Will you commit to pray, God, will you open a door of opportunity for me to share the gospel with that one person who I know is far from you? Will you take time to pray every day, intentionally and purposefully? Make every moment count. And the second commitment is, will you walk with wisdom? toward those who are far from God. Instead of trying to prove a point or protect your ways, will you think about the person who is far from God and how you can promote the gospel? With gracious words, words soaked in in salt, which includes truth. Can I tell you what I think is going to happen if you make those commitments? I think you'll have the joy of making every moment count. You know what that looks like? It's the joy I have every single time I see my granddaughter. And I get to celebrate and rejoice in that moment in her life that I got to be a part of. When you make a commitment to make every moment count, you're looking to the God of the universe and you're saying, I get to be a part of what you're doing. I get to be a part of bringing you honor. I get to be a part of fulfilling your purpose. And friends, there is no greater satisfaction than living for God's glory on this earth. I invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes. In these next few moments as we uh, turn to the Lord in worship and praise, maybe part of your prayer needs to include a sense of repentance and maybe maybe you see today how that you've been maximizing the moments for yourself and not for God and 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 you're burdened by that and and you need to turn from that these next few moments as we sing song of praise and worship to the Lord take take that time to turn your heart toward God in repentance Maybe, maybe you need to be stuck in this moment of prayer where uh, you're thankful for what God is doing and you're adding to that, God, can you help me in this situation? And friends, make no mistake, that's exactly what God wants to hear. He wants to hear the cry for help from his sons and daughters. And maybe in these moments, you just need to ask God to help you as you thank him for what he's done and what he's going to do. Maybe as you pray for an open door today and tomorrow and the next day and the next, maybe you also need to add to that, God, give me the courage to walk through the door that you open. I know that's one of my problems. God, just give me the courage to walk through the door that you open. Give me the eyes to see the open door and the courage to walk through it. Maybe your words, your conversations are not, are not focused on that person who is far from God, helping them find new life in Christ. Maybe your words are not the bridge that they should be for the gospel. And maybe you need to commit today, God, 
fill my words with grace, helping them be soaked in your truth, but also with your grace. Help for me to share the gospel more than I talk about masks. Now, Father, in these moments, will you speak? We will listen. Will you compel us to find our greatest joy in your pleasure? And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.